0: Book One, Chapter Eight of *The Branding Iron* by Catherine Newland Burt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Eight, Delirium. It is not the people that have led still and uneventful lives who are best prepared for emergencies. They are not trained to face crises, to make prompt and just decisions joan had made but two such resolutions in her life the first when she had followed pierre the second when she had kept holliwell's books in defiance of her husband's jealousy the leaving her father had been the result of long and painful thought now in a few hours events had crashed about her so that her whole life outer and inner had been shattered beyond the pain and fever of her wound there was an utter confusion of her faculties before she fainted she had indeed made a distinct resolve to leave pierre it was this purpose working subconsciously on her will as much as the urgent pressure of the stranger that took her past pierre's body out into the dawn and sent her on that rash journey of hers in the footsteps of an unknown man This being seemed to her, then, hardly human. Mysteriously he had stepped in out of the night. Mysteriously he had condemned Pierre, and in self-defense, for Joan had seen Pierre draw his gun and fire, he had killed her husband. Now, just as mysteriously, as inevitably it seemed to her, he took command of her life. She was a passive, shipwrecked thing, a derelict, She had little thought and no care for her life. As the silent day slowly brightened through its glare of clouds, she plodded on, setting her snowshoes in the tracks her leader made. The pain in her shoulder steadily increased, more and more absorbed her consciousness. She saw little but the lean, resolute figure that went before her, turning back now and then with a look and a smile, that were a compelling mixture of encouragement pity and command she did not know that they were traveling north and west toward the wildest and most desolate country that every time she set down her foot she set it down farther from humanity she began soon to be a little light-headed and thought that she was following pierre at noon they entered the woods and her guide came beside her and led her through fallen timber and past pitfalls of soft snow. Suddenly, "'I can't go no more,' she sobbed and stopped, swaying. At that he took her in his arms and carried her a few hundred feet till they entered a cabin under the shelter of firs. "'It's the ranger station,' said he, The ranger told me that I could make use of it on my way back. We can pass the night here. Joan knew that he had carried her across a strange room and put her on a strange bed. He took off her snowshoes, and she lay watching him light a fire in the cold, clean stove and cook a meal from supplies left by the owner of the house. She was trying now to remember who he was, what had happened, and why she was in such misery and pain. Sometimes she knew that he was her father, and that she was at home in that wretched shack up Lone River, and an ineffable satisfaction would relax her cramped mind. Sometimes, just as clearly, she knew that he was Pierre who had taken her away to some strange place, and, in this certainty, she was even more content. BUT ALWAYS THE HORRIBLE FLAME ON HER SHOULDER BURNT HER AGAIN TO THE CONFUSION OF HALF-CONSCIOUSNESS. HE WASN'T JOHN CARVER. HE WASN'T PIERRE. WHO IN GOD'S NAME WAS HE? AND WHY WAS SHE HERE ALONE WITH HIM? SHE COULD NOT FRAME A QUESTION. SHE HAD A FEAR THAT IF SHE BEGAN TO SPEAK, SHE WOULD SCREAM AND RAVE, WOULD TELL IMPOSSIBLE SECRET SACRED THINGS so she held herself to silence, to a savage watchfulness, to a battle with delirium. The man brought her a cup of strong coffee and held up her head so that she could drink it, but it nauseated her, and she thrust it weakly away, asking for cold water. After she had drunk this, her mind cleared for an instant, and she tried to stand up. "'I must go back to Pierre now,' she said, looking about with wild but resolute eyes. "'Lie still,' said the stranger gently. "'You're not fit to stir. Trust me. It's all right. You're quite safe. Get rested and well. Then you may go wherever you like. I only want to help you.' The reassuring tone, the promising words, coerced her, and she dropped back. Presently, in spite of pain, she slept. She woke and slept in fever for many hours, vaguely aware at times that she was traveling. She felt the motion of a sled under her and knew that she was lying on the warm hide of some freshly killed beast and that a blanket and a canvas covering protected her from a swirl of snow. Then she thought she heard a voice babbling queerly and saw a face quite terribly different from other human faces. The covering was taken from her, snowflakes touched her cheek, a lantern shone in her eyes, and she was lifted and carried into a warm, pleasant-smelling place, from which were magically and completely banished all sound and bitterness of storm. She tried to see where she was. But her eyes looked on incredible colors and confusions, so she shut them and passively allowed herself to be handled by deft hands. She knew only that delicious coolness, cleanliness, and softness were given to her body, that the pain in her shoulder was soothed, that dreamlessly she slept. End of Book One, Chapter Eight Recording by Roger Moline